What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Uh, testing? Testing? Can you hear me? Thank you all so much for coming out to the Emmett High School Class of 2015 five-year reunion. But before we kick things off, I just wanted to address the elephant in the room. When you graduate with, what, uh, 112 people, you tend to notice when somebody isn't here. Especially somebody as well-loved as Devin. So I'm going to hand the mic over to Maxine. As everyone probably knows by now, Devin Riesling is missing. She was last seen around 11 p.m. on February 9th, uh, 2019. We don't really know anything about what happened to her. Uh, so I just wanted to ask you all to please, if you know anything, saw anything, heard a rumor, I mean anything, to just please call, call the tip line. We are desperate for answers and we all miss Devin so much. I'm at a class reunion held at the Flat 16 restaurant in Emmett, Idaho. Despite the attendees being the same age, around 22 to 23, and all graduating from the same small high school in the same small town, the people here really are a mixed bag. Ask anybody from Idaho what Emmett is known for, and they'll likely say the same things. Farms, cars, and, well, meth. Looking around the room, it's easy to see the toll that drugs have taken on certain members of the group. And, by the way, I'm not judging Emmett or the people who live here, because I grew up in Emmett as well. But in addition to the attendees who seem to be struggling with the addictions that have crippled this small town, there's several notable exceptions. People who are able to break the stereotype, hold down jobs, build careers, start families, and make something of their lives. I believe that Devin was one of those people. Uh, well, my name is Maxine, and Devin was my best friend. Uh, she was kind, she was smart, she was really responsible. <laughs> uh, out of any of us in the room, she was the one that was going to make it. We all know that she was going to be successful, she's going to have this great career, she's going to get married, she's going to have babies, she's going to live this long, satisfying life. I noticed you're saying was, like you're speaking in the past tense. Well, yeah, I guess I am. I mean... Can you tell me why that is? I mean, in my heart, I think, I think I feel that Devin is not alive anymore. I can just feel it. It's like her energy is not in this place anymore. The police want to say that she just walked away from her life, but Devin wouldn't do that. She wouldn't leave her mom like that. Me and Devin go way back. I've known that girl since like second grade and we kind of drifted apart when she went to college just because, you know, our lives were so different. But when she moved back home, we just picked things right off where we left off. Do you believe what the police are saying? That she just left voluntarily? No, 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 no way. That just wasn't her. She was like Mrs. Responsibility. She like quit college and put her dreams on hold so she could just take care of her dying mom, dude. That's just the kind of person she was. No way she just walked out on her dying mom. No way. What do you think happened to Devin? 
At first I thought maybe she had gotten lost in the woods, you know? But after all the evidence came out, it just became clearer and clearer that something bad happened to her, you know? Like what? Oh man, you're gonna make me say it? Like, she was murdered, dude. It's pretty obvious at this point that she was murdered. My name is Kenneth Bailey, and I'm looking for the truth about what happened to Devin Reasley, a 23-year-old nursing student who went missing from Emmett, Idaho on February 9th, 2019. I'm not an investigator or a journalist, although I will be speaking with a variety of experts as I examine this case. So who am I? Well, to start, I'm a true crime junkie who grew up in Emmett and have seen firsthand the grief and fear this tragedy has taken on this town. To this day, no newspapers or news outlets have reported on Devin's disappearance. That's bothered me a lot, especially since the private investigator hired by Devin's family said the best chance of a break in the case would be from getting media coverage. So for the past six months, I've been sending letters to local newspapers and even tweeted at newscasters. I even went into the community radio station in the nearby city of Boise, asking the DJs to read the tip line number on air. That's how I met Jessica O'Neill, who suggested I make a podcast and offered to help with the audio production. For the record, I do want to be transparent about the fact that I did know Devin Riesling. She was a sophomore at Emmett High when I was a freshman. We weren't close, and we didn't really hang out except for going to a few of the same parties, but I did know of her. From everything I remember or ever heard about her, she was a truly kind and smart girl who had her whole life ahead of her, which is part of the reason why I became so invested in finding justice for Devon. So, now that I have all that out of the way, let's start at the beginning. Emmett is a town in west central Idaho, with a population of under 7,000 people. It was there, in June of 1997, that Devin Riesling was born to Patty and Ricky Riesling. Devin had a rough upbringing. Her father, Ricky, began serving a life sentence for drug distribution when Devin was just 7 years old. And since her brother TJ is about 10 years older than her, Devin spent most of her childhood with just her and Patty, her mother, who struggled with alcoholism for most of her life. But, Devin had a great role model in TJ who graduated high school, went to a great college, and became a successful lawyer on the East Coast. He didn't visit much, but he did help out Devin and Patty financially over the years, including by co-signing Devin's student loans. Devin was a great student. She was even named valedictorian of her high school class, and she was accepted to the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, which she attended for three years, studying to become a nurse. In the fall semester of her senior year, Devin got the news that her mother Patty had been diagnosed with end-stage liver disease. Devin immediately withdrew from her classes and went back to Emmett to care for her mom in her final days. This was in October of 2018. Back in her hometown, she reunited with her high school boyfriend, Isaac Miller. She spent most of her time caring for Patty, cooking her meals, helping her bathe and dress, taking her to doctor's appointments, and doing the cleaning and laundry. Friends say that she planned on returning to nursing school eventually, but for now, she was focused on taking care of her mother in her final days, which is exactly what she was doing on the day she disappeared. 
Devin Riesling was last seen around 11pm on the evening of Saturday, February 9th, 2019. Since that day, there has been no contact from her and no confirmed sightings. There's been no activity on her bank accounts, no air travel activity, she hasn't used her social security number to apply for a job or a credit card, no new vehicles have been registered to her name, she hasn't used her Amazon account, her frequent flyer miles, her social media accounts, she just disappeared off the map. The voice you're hearing is that of Brett Nelson. He's a private investigator who was hired by Devin's family, specifically her brother TJ, just a few weeks after her disappearance. I spent about four years at the 80 County Prosecuting Attorney's Office in the Criminal Division before I'd sidestart my own PI firm. Devin's brother TJ and I, we went to law school together, and TJ can't be here to look for his sister, so I'm doing everything I can to help him. Thanks to Brett's interviews with witnesses, we actually know a lot about the day Devin went missing. Patty confirms a lot of her movements, but unfortunately, Patty's testimony is not the most reliable. She happens to have Class C cirrhosis of the liver, which led to end-stage liver disease. The problem with this is that one of the symptoms of end-stage liver disease is hepatic encephalopathy, which causes mood changes, confusion, memory problems, and a regression of mental and physical coordination. Fortunately, several other people saw or spoke to Devin that day, and her bank statements also confirm a lot of her movements from the day she disappeared. February 9th was an ordinary Saturday. A cold day, but started out like any other. A winter storm was moving in from the northeast, where it had been dumping over 14 inches of snow in the nearby mountains. The old heater in the two-bedroom home of Devin and Patty Riesling struggled to keep up with the cold. Like every other morning, for the previous four months, Devin woke up and cooked Patty breakfast then helped her get bathed and dressed. At 11.25 a.m., Devin was seen shopping for groceries at Albertsons. Patty confirms this trip, and so does the cashier, who specifically remembered Devin because it was her last customer before her shift ended, and she was annoyed at having to stay a few minutes late to finish checking out Devin's full shopping cart. At 2 p.m., Devin had an appointment to get her hair cut with her best friend Maxine, who's a hairdresser. Maxine reports Devin was acting normally and did not say anything unusual, and the two of them made plans to go out the following evening. Devin's bank statements confirmed the Albertsons' trip and the haircut, as well as reporting that Devin filled up her gas tank and bought a Red Bull at a Shell station. That evening, Patty reports that Devin cooked her dinner before Isaac Miller picked her up at 5.20pm. Devin and Isaac drove into Boise, which was about an hour south of Emmett, and had dinner at the Cheesecake Factory before an 8.15 movie at the Edwards 21 Cinema. The movie ended at 10.08, and Isaac claims they drove straight back to Emmett, and he dropped Devin off at home just before 11pm. Patty does claim to remember hearing the front door open as Devin came home, but since we have no other witnesses, we can't confirm this report. Isaac Miller was the last person to see Devin. When Patty woke up the morning of February 10th, Devin was not home to help her bathe or make her breakfast. She tried calling Devin's phone, but she could hear it ring from Devin's bedroom, which was empty and undisturbed. When Devin still hadn't returned home that evening, Patty began to call a few of Devin's friends. When it became clear that no one knew where Devin was, Patty called the police. Our apologies that the next clip is very low quality. Ma'am, I'm gonna need you to calm 
officer to you now. I'm your address listed here as 23. And officer, why are you treating me like a suspect? Ma'am. Her mother, you should be looking for that man I'm who follows her around. Me. The man in the white fucking van. There has been a man following Devin around, ma'am. Excuse me, ma'am. You can probably tell by this phone call with 911 that Patty isn't all there. For the record, Patty's mother, who she claims is there telling her a joke, isn't present. Patty's mother, Devon's grandmother, passed away over a decade earlier. As she got sicker and sicker, Patty started getting confused. Um, she was angry a lot of the time, and she would forget where she was. She would be talking like she was talking to someone in the room, but no one was there. Okay. Was she out of it all the time, or were there moments where she was more lucid? I mean, she would have moments where she would be acting normal and seem lucid, and then all of a sudden she would call Devin by the wrong name or get confused. It was like she had dementia or something. After Patty's phone call with emergency services, an officer was dispatched to the house. They took statements from Patty, Isaac, and Maxine. Then, three days later, the Emmett Police Department issued a statement saying there was no evidence of foul play. They claimed Devon left with her car and wallet on her own accord. To this day, the police have conducted no further investigation into Devon's disappearance. I'm outside Isaac Miller's house with my producer, Jessica. We've been trying to get in contact with Isaac for weeks now, but he hasn't answered our calls or messages. So we finally decided to knock on his door and see if he might answer. Maybe try knocking. I don't think he's home. Or he doesn't want to talk to us. Yeah, maybe. So far, I wasn't having much luck getting a hold of Isaac, the last person to see Devin alive. Fortunately, though, there were many other people in Devin's life who were eager to help us gather more information about the day that Devin disappeared. I last saw Devin that day, that Saturday. She came into the salon for a cut around 2 p.m. She was acting completely normal, like it had just been another day. She mentioned she had plans with Isaac later and that they were going to drive into Boise. Uh, we made plans to go out for drinks the following night. I gave her a haircut and then she left. So was there anything unusual about the haircut she wanted? Was she making a big change or anything along those lines? No, I mean, it was just a trim. Okay. When did you first hear that Devin was missing? I mean, that next day. She didn't show up for her plans. Which is really unlike her to bail without given a call or text at least. And then I got a call from her, but when I answered it wasn't Devin, it was Patty. So Patty called you from Devin's phone? Uh, she asked me if Devin was with me. And when I said she wasn't with me and she hadn't shown up for her plans, Patty was really upset. 
and I told her that she should call the police at that point. And then what did you do? Well, the first thing I did was call Isaac. And Isaac told me that he had dropped Devin off at home Saturday night, and he hadn't heard from her since then. So me and Isaac both drove over to Patty's, and eventually the police came and took a statement from both of us. And we tried to reconstruct her last known whereabouts. Hmm. That first night, the first night she went missing, did you have any theories or ideas as to where she might possibly be? Well... Isaac was sure that Devin was just out blowing off some steam or something. He thought she could have driven out to Boise or been staying at a friend's house. Do you think that's an actual possibility? Devin would never just bail on her mom. I mean, when I got to Patty's house, she hadn't eaten all day. She hadn't been able to change her clothes, and she'd barely been able to go to the bathroom on her own. There's no way in my mind that Devin just took off without, like, even for a day without telling anyone. So how did you feel that first night when you knew she was missing? I was absolutely terrified. I got in my car. I drove all over town. I went to every single bar and restaurant. I called every single one of our friends. I drove in circles all night. I don't think I slept a single minute. Was Isaac also helping you look for her? No. Do you know what he was doing that night? After the police took his statement, he said goodbye to us and said he was going home to bed. Hmm. What was your reaction to that? I... I was shocked. I mean, I couldn't believe that someone could be told that their girlfriend was missing and just go home and fucking sleep. I mean, I didn't sleep. I... I still have nightmares. They started when her car was found, and I still have fucking nightmares. 911, That recording came into emergency services on March 1st, just 20 days after Devon's disappearance. Forest Service Road 698 is a dirt road along the middle fork of the Payette River. In the winter, the road is snow-covered and rarely traveled. About six miles north of the vehicle was a hot springs at the end of the road called Boiling Springs. There was also a small primitive cabin operated by the Forest Service that took reservations from May to December. But even in December, access to this area is limited to snowmobiles. It's likely that, without the anonymous phone call that came into emergency services that day, Devin's car would not have been found until spring. Devin's vehicle, a blue 1997 Ford Explorer, was found abandoned on a Forest Service road about two hours northeast of Emmett in the Boise National Forest. The vehicle was found stuck in the snow, and the keys were still sitting in the ignition. There were no signs of a struggle, and unfortunately, any footprints of tire tracks were gone since it had been snowing. Are, are there police photos of the scene? At that point, the tow truck did not know that the vehicle belonged to a missing person, so the only description we have is the statement from the driver of the tow truck. Police did not, and to this day, have never been to the scene where the vehicle was found. Okay, but uh, doesn't the finding of Devin's vehicle contradict the police's statement that she voluntarily left with her car? It's hard to imagine how she could voluntarily leave to start a new life in the middle of the night in a snowstorm on a mountain road almost 20 miles from a major highway without a car. 
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. When I heard that Devin's car had been found out by Boiling Springs, it was like, for the first time, I had hope. I had hoped that maybe she was alive and maybe she had driven out there to go take a dip in the hot springs. And when her car got stuck in the snow, she decided to hike the rest of the way to the cabin. We had actually stayed there once in high school. Devin definitely knew it was there. They had a fireplace and people often left cans of food there. So I knew it was a long shot, but it seemed possible that she could have survived for three weeks in that cabin. Wasn't the cabin six miles from where her car was found? Yeah. I mean, that's true, but it's, what, 16 or 17 miles to Crouch, which is the nearest city and major road. So I think a six-mile hike to a warm cabin is probably a safer bet. Is that why you decided to organize a search party? Yeah, it is. Uh, Because even after her vehicle was reported to the police, which happened after it had been towed and they figured out who it belonged to, the police still didn't seem to care. They still thought she had run away. And the possibility of her being out there freezing or starving to death in the forest didn't even seem to occur to them. On March 2nd, 2019, a search party gathered to search the Forest Service Road 698, the cabin, and the surrounding forest. Over 100 people from Emmett, Crouch, and the surrounding mountain towns joined the search, which covered 25 square miles around the Boiling Springs cabin area. The cabin was found completely empty. There were no signs of Devin in the cabin, no ashes in the fireplace, and there were even unopened cans of food in the cabinets. What was your experience during the search party? Honestly, I could not wait to get out there and start looking. My boyfriend had to stop me from driving directly out there as soon as I heard the news about our car, actually. But he convinced me to wait until we had snowmobiles and such. The day of the search, it was actually worse than the day she went missing. Tell me why that is. It was so much worse. I mean, because I had hoped that she was going to be found. And then when we finally got into the cabin and she wasn't there, and it was obvious that she hadn't been there, it was like my hope came crashing down and it was right then that I knew that she was never going to come home again. Cadaver dogs were unable to come at such short notice. But two weeks later, Brett Nelson brought in a team of sniffer dogs to search a 15-mile radius for human remains. The dogs did not alert, and no remains were found. So, how did the search party change the way you were looking for Devin? Well... At first, we were looking for a missing person, you know, before we felt like there was a chance she might be found alive. But after the search, it became clear that we weren't just looking for Devin, but we were looking for the person who killed her. Did you have any idea about where to start looking for Devin's killer? (laughs) I had an idea, yeah. And that was? Well, I had my suspicions. I... I, I obviously can't say for sure what happened to Devin or who did it, but there were certain people who were behaving in ways that were unusual considering the circumstances. Hmm. So by that, are you referring to someone along the lines of, say, Isaac? (laughs) Isaac. Isaac is an enigma. It's extremely hard for me to imagine that he might be capable of hurting Devin, but you never really know people. Did Isaac do or say anything to make you think he should possibly be looked at as a suspect? 
Or was it just the fact that he was the last person to see Devon? I mean, obviously the last person to see a missing person, no matter who they are, should always be looked at as a suspect. But in this case, it was more his behavior following her disappearance. Um, what, what was he doing? Well, he wasn't really cooperating with any efforts to find Devin. I know that Brett had a very difficult time in getting him to agree to an interview. He never helped us put up missing posters. He didn't come to the search party. What? Wait, hold on. Isaac didn't come to the search party to look for his own girlfriend. No, he didn't. Which I was really pissed about, actually. Yeah, I can totally understand that. Did he give any sort of reason as to why not? He called me the morning of the search and said that he had to go to work and he couldn't get out of it. Wasn't the search on a Saturday? Yeah. It was Saturday the 2nd of March. So I'm thinking, whatever reason you have to go to work on a Saturday, you can't get out of it to look for your fucking missing girlfriend? Do you know if Isaac had ever come to Boiling Springs before? Yeah, I mean, we all used to come out here all the time in high school. Hmm. Had they been out here in the four months after Devin moved back home? Um, I really don't know. It's possible. Uh, but she never mentioned it to me. Uh, is this it? This is the place. Hi, kitty. That's John Deere. Oh, that's cute. I'm at an impound lot on the outskirts of Crouch, at a place called Banks Loman Towing. This is the towing company who picked up Devin's car, and they've generously offered to store the car indefinitely, with the hopes that police might someday reopen the case and use it to collect evidence. It's a small lot, guarded by a tall fence, security cameras, and a black and white cat with a tinkling bell on her collar. Taped on the fence is a poster I've become all too familiar with over the last year. Missing. Devin Riesling, with a picture of Devin smiling on Christmas Eve, brown eyes looking right into the camera, wearing an ugly Christmas sweater with red poinsettias. Below her picture, it gives information about her last known whereabouts, and a number for people to call if they have any information about her disappearance. This is it, right back over here. It's unsettling, isn't it? Yeah. Does that mean what I think it means? Brett is pointing to something in the back seat of the car, something that will lead us to our first real suspect. Folded neatly on the back seat is a flashlight and a red bikini swimsuit folded on top of a beach towel. I think it does. I think she drove out here willingly. Okay, so that definitely makes it seem like she came out here to go to the hot springs. The question is, did she come out here alone or was she with somebody else? Like, maybe Isaac? Why don't you start when you picked her up? Fine. I picked Evan up from her house just after five. We drove into Boise and went to dinner at the Cheesecake Factory. You're listening to an interview that Brett Nelson conducted with Isaac Miller on February 24th. It's important to point out that this interview was recorded before Devin's car was found. After the vehicle was discovered, Brett has extensively sought out another interview with Isaac. But Isaac refuses to talk. So, for now, the only information we have is the information from the police statement, which, to Isaac's credit, doesn't deviate at all from his statement to Brett, and this interview. 
So if Isaac is lying, at the very least, he's been keeping it consistent. Did you stop anywhere on the way? No, we drove straight there. Okay. And can you tell me about dinner? Did Devin say anything that would indicate that she would be leaving town? No, she was fine. She was just talking about her mom and all the crazy shit that Patty's been saying lately. Like Patty's been calling her by Devin's grandmother's name. Okay, and then what happened? After dinner, we went to see a movie. What movie did you see? Uh, it was called Pursuit, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Did you like it? The movie? Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. I like Liam Neeson. Oh, he's in that? Yeah, he's the, he's the main guy. Alright. So, what did you do when the movie ended? When the movie got out, we drove back to Emmett, and I dropped her off at home. Okay, and what time was this? It was like 10.50, 11 o'clock. Did you watch her go inside the house? She walked through the front door, I saw a light come on in her bedroom, and then I drove away. Did you see Devin again that night? No, that was the last time I saw her. What did you do after you dropped her off? I just went home and studied for my midterms. Okay. And was there any time throughout the night that you weren't with Devin? That I wasn't with her? Yeah, like, did she go to the bathroom or leave to go run an errand or anything like that? Um, well, yeah. She went to the bathroom when we were at the restaurant. Okay. Anything else? Uh, I don't know. She did take a phone call during the movie. Her phone wasn't off? I mean, it was on vibrate. It buzzed and she said sorry and left the theater to take the call. Did she say who was calling her? When she came back, she said it was her mom, and I asked if everything was okay, and she said it was fine. Okay. And was there anything else about that night that was notable or unusual? No. Nothing. It was a completely normal night. Why didn't you want to be interviewed? I already told the police everything I know. What else do you want from me? How about your phone record? That would help us rule you out as a suspect. If your records show you didn't go back over to Devin's house later that night, then yeah, that would help rule you out. Fine. Okay, fine. I just need you to sign a release form. Whatever. Fine. Everything that Isaac said in his interview with Brett seemed to match up with his official statement to police that was taken the night Devin went missing. And now that Brett had permission to access Isaac's cell phone data, which, to be exact, was limited to something called historical location data, his story could be confirmed with pings to nearby cell phone towers. This was especially helpful since, in the days following Devin's disappearance, one of the few things police did do was obtain this historical location data for Devin's phone. It wasn't very helpful for police at the time, since she left her phone at home whenever she left the house again that evening, but with Isaac's location data, now we could see if the story he told investigators matched his and Devin's location history. And more importantly, find out if he went back to Devin's house later that night, or if he went anywhere suspicious in the hours or days following her disappearance. Let's clear some space here. Oh, here, I'll, I'll move these over. Brett takes out a folding map of Idaho and unfolds the area from Boise to Emmett. He's showing me the location data from both Devin and Isaac's phones, which are both printed on their own transparency sheets so they can overlay on the map. So, the blue ones are Isaac. The blue markers are Isaac's pings, and the red markers are Devin's pings. Okay, so can you see when they're lined up? It shows when they're together. Exactly, yeah. Each blue and red numbered marker represents a time Devin and Isaac's cell phones pinged off of a nearby tower. Brett also has with him a stack of reference papers with a list of each ping, the GPS coordinates, and handwritten notes about the location, noting where it correlates with witness testimony. 
The whole thing is so well organized and thorough that it honestly makes me wonder just how much TJ is paying Brett because this guy is a serious professional. For Devin, the Emmett police gathered data from noon on Saturday the 9th until 48 hours later. Uh, and just to be clear, are the pings a, rec a, a record of every time a call is made or received, or does that include texts? Or There's a lot of data compiled into these things. In very basic terms, the phone is scanning for a tower when there's a call or a text, but it could also be initiated by apps looking for location data, or Gmail could be refreshing to check for new emails, so there's really a wide variety of reasons for the pings themselves. Okay. So do these, um, they don't necessarily correspond to incoming or outgoing calls? No, they don't. We go through the list of pings from Devin's cell phone, one by one. The interesting thing about the pings is not what new information they hold, but how accurately they confirm the witness statements. From 12 to just before 2pm, the pings come from a cell tower at 833 Tyler Road, just 0.4 miles from Devon's house in the southwestern outskirts of town. Then from 2pm until around 3.30, her phone pings at the only other cell tower in Emmett proper, a tower called 06-2 which was right on the northeastern edge of downtown. From 3.30 p.m. to 5.30, the pings go back to the 833 Tyler Road Tower, which is where they begin to line up with Isaac's pings. Okay. Right, so around 5.20 is when Isaac's pings start to correspond with Devin's. Oh, yeah, they're even pinging off the same towers most of the time. The map of pings from both Devin and Isaac's phone do match up with Isaac's testimony which does give him some credibility. Between 5.20 and 6.30, both Devon and Isaac's phones ping off towers between Emmett and Boise. From 6.30 to 10, the pings all come from the same area near the restaurant and movie theater, then the trail of pings leads back up into Emmett around 11 p.m. Now, right around 11 p.m., this is where things get interesting. Okay, uh, lay it on me, Brett. What are we looking at? So, you can see that Devin's phone first pings at the 833 Tyler Road Tower at 11.06pm. And that's the last tower it ever pings at, right? That's it. After that, it stays put right there at Patty's house. Devin's phone would never ping a different cell tower again, reflecting the fact that she left her phone at home that night, whenever she left. Willingly or unwillingly. Okay. So, what about Isaac? Isaac's phone pings off the 833 Tyler Road Tower at the same time as Devon at 11.06 p.m. Huh. And how long does it stay at that tower? There's just two pings. 11.06 and 11.08. Okay. Does his phone ever ping the Tyler Road Tower again that night? Nope. Nothing? N not at all? Nope. No pings. There are no pings at Tyler Road. Not even any pings at the 062 Tower downtown until late the following day. Okay, so you're saying that Isaac never went back to Devin's house that night? He did not go back to Devin's house that night. Okay. Are you disappointed? Uh, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Wait till you see where he did go. Brett picks up the map sprawled on the table, and refolds it until it shows Emmett in the lower left corner and the Boise National Forest in the right. He then takes out another transparency from one of his file folders. I can see it's dotted with blue markers, just like the previous one we just looked at, tracking the pings from Isaac's phone. He lines it up with the map, and suddenly it's clear as day. A line of blue markers leading from Emmett into the Boise National Forest. 
Am I seeing what I think I'm seeing? Depends on what you're seeing. I'm looking at two blue markers on a map, but what they represent is about to change this whole investigation. Just two little pings, one at 11.39 p.m. and one at 12.13 a.m. that come from Isaac's phone into the two cell towers closest to Forest Service Road 698 in Boiling Springs in the dead of the night in a snowstorm on February 9th, 2019 in the exact area where Devon's car would be found 20 days later. Empty and abandoned. That's it for episode one of Dead of the Night podcast. Thank you for listening. And if you liked what you heard, please subscribe and leave a review. It helps other listeners find the podcast, which means more eyes and ears looking out for Devin. If you have any information about Devin Riesling, please call the tip line at 208-398-3110. This episode was produced by Gina Harris, Spencer Hudson, and Danielle Choda. Jessica O'Neill is our audio engineer. And I'm Kenneth Bailey, asking once again, have you seen Devin Riesling? Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.